Being Mother's Day today, I thought it would be appropriate to, uh, as you know, we're speaking about some of the lesser known characters of the New Testament and some of the heroes of our faith that perhaps you've not, not heard about or spent a lot of time talking about them. And today I want to do that with two ladies that I would like to uh, talk about a little bit today, and that, the, the, their names is Eunice and Lois. Now, some of you will know immediately who I'm talking about. Eunice and Lois was the grandmother and mother of Timothy, of whom we know a bit more in the Scripture. And um, this uh, family became a family that Paul was that had quite a good relationship with and that he loved and appreciated very much, particularly because of what Timothy meant to him in his life. And I'd like to go to 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 1, and uh, from verse 2 to 5, and, and these are the, the verses where uh, Lois and Eunice's names are mentioned, and we, we hear a little bit about who they are and their legacy, their, that, the story, that, and how they contributed to the overall story of the New Testament. So if you'll join with me to Timothy 1, verse uh, 2. Uh, no, sorry, I think I, no, I've got the right one. Um, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and know the same faith continues strong in you. At a time, Paul was ministering in a place called Lystra, and in Lystra, he met these two ladies, and with them, their, their son, Timothy. And he was immediately impressed by this family's love for God, and particularly with Timothy's passion and commitment as a young person for God and for Jesus Christ. And um, he built a relationship with Timothy from that point on, and uh, he started mentoring Timothy a bit. He became a, a protege to Paul. And uh, later on, Paul started sending Timothy on some of, of missionary trips and, and used him to minister in different places and, until eventually Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And, and uh, we, we read the, 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 the uh, book of Ephesus in the New Testament. And um, Timothy came from a biracial family in that his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. And as far as we know, his father never came to faith in Christ, but his mother and his grandmother did. And um, as Paul grew his relationship with Timothy and mentored him, he, Timothy became a very important person to Paul. A very personally, he started ministering to Paul and serving Paul, and, and Paul started trusting this young man a lot in the, in, the, in the way that he would often send Timothy to places where he couldn't go to represent him. And what Timothy seemed to have done really well is that he was content and very happy to represent Paul and not to be the first leader himself, but in a sense we talk about being the second chairperson or the, the second leader. So that when he went to a church to go and speak or deal with something, he would always make sure, and as Paul did with him too, that the people understood he wasn't coming to speak to them on his behalf, he was speaking on behalf of Paul. And Paul trusted him enough that he knew that when Timothy went and uh, delivered a message, he would do it in the right way, and the right message would come over. 
so much so that that's how uh, Timothy ended up in Ephesus, because in Ephesus, problems were brewing. Some people were leading uh, Christians astray and were teaching false doctrines and, and starting to question Christ and, uh, and the authority of Christ. And so Paul couldn't get there himself, so he said, I'm going to send Timothy. So off he sent Timothy to the Ephesians to go and sort it out, and because he, he trusted Timothy that he knew he could represent him well. We read, for instance, in, uh, in, in, uh, as Paul writes about Timothy in Philippians 2, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all speak their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, that Timothy has proven himself to be faithful. It's wonderful when you have believers like that, people that you can trust, that you know they're going to follow through on the commitments they've made. But how many of you know so often it's not the case? Even in the days of Paul, Paul was writing this about Timothy because his experience so often was that many started in the faith but didn't follow through and didn't go the distance, didn't stay to their commitments. That in the time, many, there were many young people and many people that grew up in the Jewish faith, that grew up with the Scripture, that were taught the Scripture and instructed in the Word, and then met Christ and received Christ and, 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 and came part of the church, but so often they would wander off eventually and their faith would dwindle and they would disappear. So to Paul, it was almost this wonderful thing to stand and to, to hold Timothy in contrast and to say, look at Timothy, how he has stayed the course. And as we know, the story of Timothy unfolded. He stayed faithful to the Lord and to Paul right to the end. We read again how Paul encourages Timothy in, in his specific charge in Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. From verse 14, he says the following, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and have how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul charges Timothy, he says, stay the course. Remain faithful to that which you have received from your infancy. From, from being a child, you received the Holy Scripture. And what he was saying basically was that Timothy grew up with his mother and his grandmother teaching him the Word of God from a little age, from a young age. And I find that encouraging. I find it wonderful to know that he grew up in a home where his father didn't mentor him spiritually. His father seemingly played no role in his spiritual development. So in a sense, his mother and grandmother were single parents spiritually. Now I say that because I know there's many ladies here today that are maybe single parents, or even spiritually you may be raising your child in the ways of the Lord or attempting to raise your child in the ways of the Lord without the assistance of your spouse. I grew up in a family like that. I shared a bit of my story last week, how my mom 
It was her responsibility, and she took it upon herself to raise us in the ways of the Lord, to take us to church, to make sure that we, you know, we got prayed for, and she prayed for us, and got us into a community of faith, and, and all of that without the help of my father. Now, I don't want to diminish the role of men, and I know, and I think we all understand that God is a father, and His father heart, and how important it is that we, that we bring that element into a family, and as a father, it's of great importance to me that my sons see my representation of God also, but I also think that we must recognize a story like this, where there was an absent man spiritually, but yet a son came through, and he was so well-grounded in the faith and so well established in the Word of God, and became a successful follower of Christ because of his mother and his grandmother. How many of us here today can say, I am a child of God because of my mother or my grandmother? Can you raise your hand if, if how many of us, isn't that wonderful? How many of us can say, our, our mothers prayed for us? Our grandmother prays for us? I know it is great where you have a father figure in a child's life, but can I just remind you about this? That as a father and a mother, all we do is we represent God. He is the parent. We represent Him, and we don't always do such a great job of it, don't we? I mean, I know I make mistakes. Natasha, not any. She's perfect. <laughs> she never gets it wrong. But God has to so often compensate for my failures. But I, I, you know, I've said it before, I always make my boys understand that I do the best I can, but I will never love them perfectly. But they have a father that loves them perfectly. And so it is. So it is with our mothers. And, and isn't it in the scripture where God says, I'm the father to the fatherless, the husband to the widow? If you find yourself in that situation, I pray that you will find men in the community of faith that, that can help and support, but understand that God is with you. And He can parent if we allow Him to do that. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about. Because why, how is it that Timothy stayed the course? What was in his foundation that made him different than those that were around him. So many that fell away from the faith. Why did Timothy not fall away from the faith? And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. And in order to do that, I want to take us to some of Jesus' encounters with people where he made sure that we understood a very important point about our faith. And uh, I want to go to John 14. Now, if you know this, 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 the passages in John in the Gospel of John, from John 13 to John 17 is where Jesus is building up to his crucifixion and he's preparing the disciples for what is to come. He's basically giving them instruction and training them for the tough times that is ahead and how to stay the course after that. So he's very much focused on wanting his disciples to not fall by the wayside and to not give up on their faith and not to, to renege on their commitments once they start encountering the difficulty of the crucifixion and the, the, the trouble that is to follow after that. So he's starting to prepare them for that. And in this context, I think he drives home a very fundamental point that we all have to make sure we get in our hearts. 
Now, one of the key things, if you study that portion of Scripture, is how often the word no is used. Jesus would often say to his disciples, but you not knowing, and then he would say, but I knowing, and he would draw a contrast between how there's certain things that they just didn't know. And in this, these couple of verses that I'm going to read with you now, you're going to see this. And what we can understand that Jesus, in his preparation for the difficulty that was to come, for the, the crucifixion and everything, he was saying to them, there's certain things you guys haven't gotten to know yet, and you must quickly get to know this. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. What is it that you must know? And, and I think this is what Timothy knew that helped him to go the distance. So in John 14, verse 7, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. If you had known me. Now, let's stop there for a moment. If you had known me. Who's Jesus speaking to? His disciples. Not the crowds. Not the passers-by. Guys that have been with him for about three years. That have seen him walk on water that has seen him feed the 5,000, that has heard all his teachings, that has seen him speak to the crowds, that has seen him in the temple, that has experienced all of these wonderful things that Jesus did. But yet he begins with, if you had known me. What a challenging thought. Is he really saying to the disciples, you don't know me? Because if you did, you would do things a little different, or you would feel a bit different, or you would understand things differently, but you don't know me. He says, if you had known me, if you had known me, then you would have understood that if you see me, you see the Father. Because, why was that important for him to say? Because he was saying that if you want to make it through this challenging time coming your way, you have to know who God is. And he's, and he's basically saying to them, if you want to know who God is, they know me and you'll know God. But they haven't made that connection yet. So Philip pipes up. He says, okay, Lord, if it's true that, you know, all of this is going to happen and, and whatever, can I just ask you a favor, Lord Jesus? Can, can you do one thing for us? That if we get this, it'll guarantee us that we will not fall apart that we'll make it, that we'll go through the tough times. If you can just do this one thing for us. So in verse eight, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Just give us a vision of who God is. Give us a picture of the Father. If we can just see the Father, if we can just you know, have something real, something tangible, something that we can hold onto and make our own, if we can just have that, then when the difficulty comes, we'll be okay because we've got that. Does that sound like a reasonable request? Is that something that you may have asked Jesus in a context like that? Now let's read Jesus' response. Jesus said to him in verse 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? <sighs> Philip, do you hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice? He's like, really? Really? Is this what you're asking me now? Yet you have not come to know me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe, in verse 10, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Jesus is saying to them, there's something you don't know. And until you know it, you're missing a very vital part of information. And that is that you know the Father. You know him. You know the Father because you know me. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you know me because we are one. How do they know the Father? They can, they, they, I think they were baffled at that point and saying, yes, we understand that. You're close to the Father. If we see you, we see the Father. But, but we still haven't seen the Father. Then Jesus says to them, he says, don't you know the words I speak? It's not my initiative. But I speak what the Father says. Now, this is very important that we understand. When Jesus speaks words, it's different than when anybody else speaks words. Because when Jesus spoke a word, as we understand it, that which he spoke came to be. Remember Jesus, and, and as we understand the Trinity and how it worked together, that was Jesus' function in the point of creation. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Light was revealed. Light was established. Because when Jesus speaks, his words creates. Now, if I am in this room with you and it's dark and I say, let there be light, that means somebody has to quickly get up and run and go switch on the, the switch. And then if nobody sees that person, you may all think, woohoo. But we'll all really know that I didn't say, let there be light, and suddenly... We have, our, our words can only have impact because we put action to it in terms of creative ability. But God, Jesus' words is different. So here Jesus says to them, don't you know that when I speak my words, it is the Father. So when Jesus speaks words, his words is more than description, it's revelation. Do you understand the difference between description and revelation? When I describe something to you, I can give you some level of knowledge and understanding about something. But when I reveal it to you, you can know it. We have a friend that uh, was living with us for a period of time. She was a missionary, and uh, she went to Burundi. She did a lot of work in Burundi. And in a time when the war resurfaced in 2015, she was in Burundi. And one specific day, there were bombs and fighting in the streets. And she was hiding in a, in a room under a table in like a conference area. And um, under the table, as she was hiding under the table, a, a guy, a man went and jumped in under the table with her. Now she was in her later 30s, and she always said, I'm Paul, I'm not gonna get married. Life, God's called me for a life of celibacy and to be on the mission field, we always used to call her Jedi because she was like this hardcore missionary type person. And uh, here she was under this table, gunfire, hand grenades and everything, and this guy, American under the table with her. And they spent about three hours hiding there. And in that three hours, not only did bombs go off, but some other chemical explosions also happened. <laughs> and they actually fell in love right there under the table in the midst of the explosions. Talk about, you know, so if you're praying for your husband, be prepared for anything. <laughs> so... So they started dating and eventually got married and uh, eventually uh, got children and she's pregnant with her second baby now. 
Um, and uh, whole stories changed. But we never knew this guy. So as we kept on conversation, communication with her, she would tell us about Mark. And she would describe him to us, how great a guy he is and, and how caring he is and how gentle he is and how fearless he is because he's also a missionary and how, you know, he loves God. And she would tell us about his family. He comes from Minnesota and how, you know, the, the, the area. And she would give us all this description about who Mark is. And then a couple of weeks ago, we got a message from her to say, Mark is going to go through Johannesburg, flying from Zambia up to England, and he's going to have a couple of hours in Joburg. Is it any possibility that you can meet Mark? And we said, we'll make a plan. And so Mark came in yesterday afternoon, spent the afternoon with us. And now, I don't know Mark by his description anymore. I know him because I've eaten a meal with him. I've heard his laugh. I know that he likes Braiflace. Well, at least he said so, because that's, you know, obviously that's what we're going to give him. And Malva pudding. And he's converted. There's much more that I can get to know about Mark, but now Mark is not just a description to me. I know him. And I could sit there, Natasha and I could sit there and can say, wow, now we know why she fell in love with him. And he told us, he said, now I know why she loves you so much. Because revelation Revelation in the scripture is when God removes whatever blocks our view and shows us what is real. And that's how God wants us to know him. And that's why he sent Jesus, not as some advert about who he is or some description, but that Jesus would step in and say, look at me and see the Father. That we would have revelation, not description. That we would have knowledge, not just some level of definition. And that's the power of our gospel. We can know our God. The scripture tells us so often, and Jesus warns us, and he did it a couple of times in the gospels, that he said, please don't make the mistake of knowing about God. Know God. Remember in Matthew 7, verse 21, he said these shocking words. I find it very challenging. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Hang on a moment. Did miracles in Jesus' name, prophesied in Jesus' name. Yet Jesus says, you and I, we didn't know one another. That's a challenging thought. That's a very challenging thought. I mean, I've had a wonderful time of late where I've just heard testimony every week. I'm hearing testimony upon testimony of people that I've prayed for, people that others have prayed for. When we pray in the end year of the service for people, we've just having wonderful testimonies of God, healing people, touching, providing jobs, you know, wonderful things. Not every person we pray for, but wonderful stories. You know, and every time I hear a story and I prayed for somebody and, and God healed them, you know, I sit a little bit more upright in my chair. And I feel a little bit more spiritually confident. And I think, hmm, this must mean that I know God. I'm, I'm okay. 
How many of our people in our nation run after guys who do miracles and they say, whew, they must know God? I'm not saying people that do miracles don't know God. All I'm saying is Jesus says, it's not, don't make that connection. I find that quite challenging. So you can know enough about God that you can prophesy in His name and do miracles in His name, but you can still not know Him. Woo! If that doesn't get you uncomfortable, I don't know what will. Or when Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, verse 39 to 40, you search the Scriptures, for then you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now, the message in its transliteration, and remember the message is not a biblical translation. It's somebody's interpretation of what this means. But I do think it puts it in beautiful words. It says this, you have your heads in the Bibles, in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive me from the, uh, to receive from me the life that you say you want. This is a very challenging thought. Jesus literally here says to the Pharisees, you can know the Bible. Doesn't mean you know me. Okay, I can handle the miracles one, but this one. I mean, I've studied theology. I keep on reading. I keep on wanting to make sure I understand the word. I, I study when I prepare for a message. Any of us, Neil and Latolon, any of us that preach, the guys in the evening service, we take time. We take hours to study the Word to make sure that we're true to the Scripture, that we're not messing about and just giving our interpretation. And we still get it wrong from time to time, but we'd really try. And I, I study the Scripture. But Jesus says here, you can study the Scripture and still not know me. Now, what does that mean? What does that leave me with? How then do I know Jesus? Because if I don't know Jesus, I don't know the Father. Because he's the revelation of the Father. And how, do, how does this work? But then I say, hang on. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, stay. He says these words. Because you know those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture. Paul says, you've known the Scripture. And because you've known the Scripture, you are being faithful. So, so the Scripture, you must know the Scripture. But you can know the Scripture and not know God. Timothy Keller puts it like this. He says, you can know the Bible and not know God, but you cannot know God and not know the Bible because the Scripture is the first, the main vehicle through whom God reveals Himself to us. It's the Scripture that testifies about who God is. Not describes God, but reveals God. So I need the Scripture in my life, but not in a way that I can study the Scripture and know the Scripture so that the Scripture describes God for me, but in a way that the Scripture reveals God to me. What is the difference between the two? And we don't have enough time. We're already over time. Please forgive me for that. But one of the things to understand, what is the difference between knowing God and knowing God Knowing about God and knowing God 
is the depth of the understanding you have in terms of how you know things. There's that old saying that says, the longest distance in the world is the six inches from a man's head to his heart. How many of you know there's a difference between knowing something and knowing something? Now, when the Bible speaks to you, what is it aiming at? Is it aiming at your head? Or ultimately, is it aiming at your heart? Is your head important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And please, can we have more Christians that engage their mind when they pray and when they read the Scripture and engage with the things of God? We want to instruct you, and when we preach, we really try and let your mind also engage with the Scripture. But it's so that through your mind... Understanding can turn into revelation in your heart that you may know. And that's why the Scripture is not describing, it's revealing. The Scripture is more than just language. It's alive. Again, different than any other book. Just like Jesus' words is different than any other human being or person that ever walked this earth's words, so the Bible is different than any other book you'll read. Because in Hebrews 4 verse 12 it says, the word is alive and active. How many of you know that when you read the Bible, you're reading something that's alive? That when you receive it, not just in your head, but when you receive its knowledge, it becomes alive within you and it starts transforming your life because it's alive. It's a living word. And when I draw in that word, something deeper happens in me. The scripture in the New Testament uses the word epinosis. The root word for knowledge in the New Testament is the word gnosis, to know. But Paul and others, Peter, writer of the Hebrews, manufactured this word, epinosis, to talk about a knowledge that is beyond knowledge. You know, the scripture talks about knowing the mysteries of God. This is epinosis. The, the theologians and translators have many different ways in which they, they deal with this word, epinosis. One says the epinosis describes this knowing that is, that is contrasted with gnosis, regular knowing, and marks a higher degree of intensity and energy of deeper present penetration. It is when the word of God, the truth of God, has not just penetrated your mind and the way you think, but it's penetrated your being and it's become new life inside of you. This is knowing God. Knowing the difference in Timothy was that he didn't just know God, he knew God. His mother and his grandmother didn't just teach him the scripture, they didn't just, you know, memorize verses and how many animals went to the ark and, you know, all the stories. They didn't just give him the knowledge of God, they imparted to him who God was because God was alive in them. This is what Paul refers to, that we know God. It is therefore, and I'm going to come to an end soon, it is therefore that sometimes when the Bible talks about this, it uses very sensory language about how we know God. There's many places in the scriptures. One is Psalm 34, verse 8. In Psalm 34, the writer says in verse 8, Taste and see the Lord is good. What he's not saying to us is you must go taste. He's saying to us, if you know God, you will taste Him. If you know God, you will see him and you will see by him. 
because he will become so real to you. How many of you have experienced knowing God to the point where you feel him, you taste him, you touch him, you see him? Not with your physical senses, but with the senses of your spirit. Do you know that your spirit, your heart has senses? Your heart feels, your heart sees, your heart hears. When the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it's not talking about these ears, it's talking about these ears. Hearing. Hearing. Receiving revelation and knowledge of who God is. You see, every word in the scripture is true. Everything that God says is truth. It is not true because I know it. It is true. We sang this morning that song, sometimes I feel you, sometimes I don't. But this I know. I know God loves me whether I feel it or not. Amen? Whether I experience him answering my prayers or not, I know he answers my prayers. Because I know it. But God doesn't want us just to know things because we know it. He wants us to know it because we have experienced it. And he wants us to grow in that experiential knowledge of who God is. There's a point where your objective truth must become your subjective truth. Where you say, I know God is good, but I know. God is good. So when the psalmist writes like this, he's calling back memories for us to say, remember when you tasted God. Remember that time that you felt everything was falling apart, life was coming to an end, you lost a loved one, it was so hard. Remember in that time how you tasted, even in that space, the Lord's goodness. That's the difference between those of us that go the distance and those that don't is God has become real to the place where He's more real than anything else. Where we know Him more than what we know anything else. More than what we know the pain and the struggle and the wrestle of this world. I know that God is good. Not just because I've read it or because somebody's described it to me or because somebody has told me their story, but because I know it by the revelation of Christ through His Word. I have come to know this. It has become my story. And not only do I know that God forgives sins, but it's become so real to me that I can forgive others. It's become my life. When I read the scripture, I'm not just reading a description. I'm reading the living word of God. That is, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Trick question. Who wrote the Bible? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Scripture is God-breathed. Paul says to Timothy, it's all you need for ministry. It's the Scripture because it's grieved, breathed by the Holy Spirit. So when I read the Scripture that was written by the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit as a child of God, amen? Jesus said, I will give you the guide, and He will guide you into all truth. So when I read the book written by the author who lives within me, wow, life happens. Knowledge takes place in me, sometimes too hard for me to communicate to somebody else, but I know that I know that I know because my God is good. Worship team, will you guys join me on stage, please? God is good. God is real. I want to encourage you today. Whether you're a parent 
raising children in the ways of the Lord. Whether you're a person that is trying to reach others and make disciples from others, God is within you. God lives within you. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And when you share from that place, you are not sharing information with people. You are not describing God to people. You are revealing to people that which has always been true about who God is. God wants you to know Him. And it is possible to know Him, not because of how clever you are, not because of how well-read you are, how much you know and understand, but because He chose to make Himself known to you, and He gave you the Holy Spirit who will make sure that you can get to know Him. Every day the Holy Spirit is, is around you saying, I want you to know God, and He is sharing with you who God is. All we need to do is surrender to that, to receive that. We can know God. What an amazing thought. I'd like us all to stand this morning and thank you for allowing me to go over time. Not that you have much of a choice in it. <laughs> but I trust that you encouraged and strengthened and I'm going to release you just now. But I think today is a great day where there may be people here that says, I do not know God. I've heard about Him. I've read about Him. Others have talked to me about Him, but I don't know Him. I want to say to you today, you can know God. Can we support others that want to know the Lord today? So let us pray together. Father, I pray right now for a spirit of revelation in this place in Jesus' name. I pray right now, Father, for the Holy Spirit to come in the way that is so amazing and that only you can do, Holy Spirit, to come and draw people near to the Father. Thank you, God, that you are not some arbitrary figment of our imagination, some thought some hope that we hold on to, but that you are real and that we can really know you. Thank you for the word, that we can know the word and through the word we can know you. But you are our pursuit, Lord. You are the one we love. You are the one we need. If today is a day where you say, I want to know God, I'm going to ask you right now to pick up your belongings and just to come to the front. Our pastoral team's here and they want to pray with you and just help you to meet God. So come right now, I'm gonna ask you to come and before I release the congregation, please come. Don't miss this opportunity. If Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart today, say, Lord, I wanna know you. I don't wanna live another day without this amazing privilege of knowing God. I don't wanna wonder, I wanna know. Come and let God meet with you.